Okay, here's the situation. Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply. Hello and welcome to History for Weirdos. We're your hosts, Andrew and Stephanie. And each week, we're going to take you on a journey into the strange, obscure, and relentlessly entertaining corners of human history. Now listen up, friends, because it's about to get weird. Happy Halloween, guys. We're so excited for episode 107, special Halloween episode. Isn't this exciting? This yeah. is, I feel like, peak history for weirdo season. Absolutely. I agree. This is definitely our season. The it spooky is. season belongs to us and the weirdos. I'm so happy to be telling this week's story, first of all. Yes, I am too, because I get to sit back for story time. <laughs> it's always the best. It really is. We hope that you've all had a really good fall so far really good spooky season uh that you're doing something fun for halloween probably nothing crazy because it's a tuesday right but at least something cozy and with involving candy of course of course yeah and before we move on to this week's episode i also want to remind folks that we only have a couple of spots left for our trip to roman florence at our discounted rate so if you want those discounted spots please book ASAP. We leave for Roman Florence next spring. Yeah, April of 2024. Yeah, we would love to have you there with us. Oh, guys, it's going to be exciting. I can't wait. And then also, we should give you guys a an update on our books, huh? Oh yeah, a few episodes back we shared that we were both reading historical books. And I think that's a great idea to give an update because I just finished Killers of the Flower Moon. It was really good. It is... I'd say my only critique is that it can be slightly repetitive with the information he gives, the author. But overall, it's truly like those untold stories of history that we need to learn and be told. There's so much information, so many things that I've never heard of before. Uh, I highly, highly recommend it. And we're going to go see the movie in theaters, right? Yeah, very soon. Even though it's almost like four hours or something. Oh, man. It's like three and a half hours, I'm I think. kind of, like, part of me is like, do I? It's like, <laughs> it's my, it's probably a masterpiece. It's Scorsese. But do I want to sit through all of that? Do I have the attention span? We both have ADHD. That's yeah. a really good question. That is the question. Do we have the attention span to sit for that long? We're going to need a lot of snacks. We are. And <laughs> there's definitely going to need to be a few bathroom breaks. Definitely. But I have heard really good things so far. Definitely interested in watching it. And Andrew, tell us about the book you were reading. So the book I'm reading is called Roman Persia. And oh, it right. details the 700 plus year history between the two empires, really. And really, I, it's not even fair to call them empires like civilizations because it mm. spans different empires, different mm. um, political structures. It's fascinating and you can see kind of the evolution from the days of 
I mean, when Julius Caesar was a like a child, all the way like 700 plus years later when the Sassanid Empire falls. That's wild. I mean, it is, it's incredible. And these two, it's like they only really respected each other. Mm-hmm. Everyone else was kind of just like, really barbarians or subjects Mm -hmm. and it's really like the because they were the only two powerful like ultra nation states Mm -hmm. and they were just right next to each other they were continuously powerful exactly Mm -hmm. you did have china but that was uh it was even sasanid or like the persians didn't really have a lot of um, contact contact with them them. but then the romans had like almost none so yeah it's really just them fighting each other trading with each other having some relations meddling in each other's affairs the themes are kind of constant, but like the, it's just, it's fascinating. I can go on all day, but I'm going to stop myself because I have an episode for you guys. Yeah. But tell us how far, cause you didn't finish it. It's, I mean, it's a oh, really thick book. It is. Yeah. I'm like almost 400 pages into it and I still have like another hundred to go. So yeah, yeah that one it's chunky. Like it could be used as a weapon. Yes, it can. <laughs> and I loved it because my personal favorite Roman emperor is Aurelian, which uh-huh. not a lot of people know about him because he only ruled for five years. Um, but he had an entire chapter dedicated to Aurelian and Zenobia, who we had an episode on. Yes, that's right. Nice plug, babe. Yes, exactly. So if you guys haven't listened to it and are interested in that kind of Roman, uh, Eastern Roman history, definitely give that one a listen. Yeah, go listen to Zenobia after you listen to this week's episode. Absolutely. So tell me, I mean, they already know, we always hype it up, but tell us, what are you going to be regaling us with this week? <laughs> well, you know, since Halloween is upon us, I thought, why not do an app, like an episode on the actual holiday itself? Yay. I mean, why do we celebrate it? But more importantly for, for like, for me at least, where does it come from? Right. And Those are great questions. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to just dive right into its literal ancient origins and follow its evolution until the present day. I'm so excited. Yeah. I did a lot of research and like pulled together a lot of different sources to make this work. So I'm, I'm at, I was pretty stoked to write this one, actually. Also, I saw on Instagram, we had done a poll earlier in the month asking people for recommendations on episodes and a, a few people requested the history of Halloween. Yes. Yeah. More like, I think like five of you guys did. Yeah. It's so, like just an informal, like Instagram poll. Yeah. So it was pretty amazing. But anyways, we're going to go back over 2000 years. Oh my. Yes. The holiday that we celebrate has its roots in an incredibly old Celtic holiday called Samhain, which was first celebrated well over 2000 years ago. Oh my gosh. And you know, I love these these uh, Irish spellings. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so cuz it phonetically does does not look anything like that. It's spelled S A M H A I N. That does not look like Samhain. Yeah, exactly. It just does not follow like the Latin alphabet like No, I don't think so. It's amazing. But anyways, um, this day was important to the Celtic peoples of modern day France, Britain and Ireland specifically. Um, mm. This was a, a New Year's holiday, more or less celebrated on October 31st and November 1st. That's so interesting. Yes. The ancient Celts picked the midpoint between the fall equinox and winter solstice, as it was the point where warm and sunny kind of became cold and dark. That's very true. That is very true. Yeah. And this makes sense as a point for like a quote unquote new year because mm-hmm. their harvest was completed around this time. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Agriculture was such a big part of every early civilization. Yeah, and if you think about it, like, it's only up and, 
like until the 20th century where agriculture was not the majority of employment for yeah. people. Like that's very recent phenomenon. Before mm-hmm. that, it was a vast majority. Mm-hmm. So it's just something to keep in mind. Um, there was also a ceremony that involved a big communal bonfire and sacrificing cattle with druid priests. So Ooh, not for the cows. <laughs> not for the cows. I know it was like it's kind of a vibe minus the animal sacrifice. Yeah. What if like it was fake animal sacrifice? I think that would be kind of cool. Yeah, like a symbolic sacrifice. Yeah. That would be cooler. That would be way cooler, yeah. And as a part of this, the Celts would throw in the bones of the sacrificed animals mm. into the fire, and over time this bone fire became known as a bonfire. Shut up. Are you serious? Yes. That's where we get the word bonfire? Yes. Isn't that amazing? And there's more. It's like, for burning bones. Halloween has a lot of like traditions. Um, that we understand today or that we practice yeah, in some way. Exactly. Oh my gosh. That just blew my mind. Yeah. Pretty cool, huh? So each person would take part of the flame from this bonfire back to their home hearths as well. Oh, that's so cute. So they could all have this one communal flame going on. It's almost like the Olympic flame in a way. Yes. Right? It's like... That's really cool and symbolic because it just reminds you the importance of community for survival. Yeah. That's really cool. I agree. Also, fun fact, since this was such a sacred holiday, anyone committing violence during this time was faced with a punishment of death. Yeah, that's so right. They took it seriously. <laughs> but in- Like, you killed someone, we're going to kill you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very much so, honestly. Yeah. But in addition to this, um, it's also the beginning of some recognizable parts of our Halloween. Mm. So the Celts believed that the barrier between worlds was breachable during Samhain. And they they prepared a bunch of offerings that were left outside villages and fields for fairies or shes. Mm. And that's spelled S-I-D-H-S. And that's where we get Banshee from. Of course, that's how it's spelled and pronounced. Yes. Why would it not be? Why would it not be? I also, you know, I have to make this connection here. Are you going to? The connection of that the the veil between worlds is thinner is the same thing we celebrate for Dia de los Muertos. Okay. It's insane that you say that because that is literally my next bullet point. Shut up. Oh yeah, my gosh. It's almost like we have some chemistry. I think we're connected. <laughs> so similar to Dia de los Muertos, they believe that their relatives who had passed on could wander back to the land of the living. Oh my god yes which is crazy because i'm mexican and irish i know it's like your two cultures just boom yeah very similar cultures this does not surprise me <laughs> and the people would also dress up as animals and other sorts of monsters so the she's could not kidnap them that's smart right there right yeah that's big brain thinking <laughs> what the? that's interesting i guess we dress up in costumes we do but Ours is a little different, yeah. but, and I'll get into that, but it's, the concept is very ancient. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Right. In Celtic mythology, there are even uh, other specific monsters associated with this holiday specifically. Tell me about them. Oh yeah. You had the shape-shifting pukas who would receive offerings from fields. You had the impish Dulahan, who were headless men riding horses that had fiery red eyes, and and they're also carrying their heads. That's like the headless horseman. Yeah, exactly. That's what I thought too. Hollow. Yeah, absolutely. I wonder if that comes from this. Yeah. Or at least inspired by. And also, if you saw one of these creatures, the Dulahan, you're dead. Like you're oh, just gonna die. Damn. So then, 
how do people know about it if the, if the witnesses die where Maybe do they hear about the legend it's like a little bit delayed oh okay you, it's enough time for you to go home and tell everyone what you saw exactly and then you keel over pretty much and then you also had lady gwyn so who was also headless by the way oh my gosh there's a theme yes and that she dressed in white and chased night wanderers with her pet black pig oh that's kind of cute yeah but if you're getting chased by a headless woman and this giant like black pig it's probably not the cutest i pictured it being really small and no cute yeah, like he's... those new zealand pigs that we saw at the pumpkin patch no it's not gonna be like that they're like, cute small and hairy and they make the little no they're giant and they eat people the pig eats people <laughs> no, i'm just making that up <laughs> but i mean I'm, I'm assuming it's scary can you repeat the monsters again it's puka so the pukas are the shapeshifters you okay. have the dulahan who are the impish headless men and then you had Lady Gwyn. Okay. Very scary. Yes. I mean, personally, I think these were pretty creative monsters. Yeah. But, you know, it's interesting because at this point, we already see the emergence of costumes. We have offerings of food and even bonfires. And all of these traditions mm-hmm. are still, at least in some way, celebrated to this day. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Pretty cool, huh? You know what would be so epic? What? Is to time travel. I mean, period. That's epic. Yes. But to witness a traditional Samhain. Oh my God. From like 2000 years ago. Yes. Yes. That would be wild. I just feel like they're used. I don't know. This is silly and very non-historical, but I just feel like people used to believe in magic so much that it, you could probably experience it if you went back in time. Yeah. I mean, your thinking isn't like that far off. I mean, to them, magic was real. Right. Like this wasn't it's anything. just the way the world worked. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Like what we think of magic is just normal to them in a way. I mean, it's still magic, but it's normal. I know. That's what I love. Yeah. I love the idea of it at least. I know. It would be kind of cool. I'm not going to lie. But that's going to change over the course of centuries, mm-hmm. by the way, this, this idea of magic. Mm. Because over the... Third to fifth centuries AD, Christianity began to spread throughout the Roman Empire and reached Britain and eventually Ireland in the fifth century. Yeah, I had a feeling <laughs> Christianity was going to come and be a party pooper. <laughs> a, a little bit, but it's not not exactly. And we'll see. It's okay. kind of like it it helped morph it. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> so, and a lot of the stories, like from here on out, were probably older, but they've since been Christianized. Mm-hmm. Um, like themes we think of a lot um, around the lore of Samhain were altered by Christian writers during like the early medieval period. That makes sense. They did that with so many pagan beliefs. Exactly. And one example is the story of the Druidess Tlachka, who was the daughter of a powerful Druid um, who who he traveled around the world like learning his craft. Um, a prominent hill in Ireland is that was used for bonfires mm-hmm. for Samhain mm-hmm. was named after her. Oh wow! And the story goes that she was you know sexually assaulted by the three sons of Simon Magus. Oh. And gave birth to triplets on the hill that <gasps> bears her name before dying there. Oh my god. And Simon Magus was a big opponent of St. Peter, by the way, uh, in the biblical book of Acts. I didn't know that. I'd never heard this before. Yeah. And it's and we think a lot of historians believe that this 
kind of alignment of the good pagan Schlotka mm-hmm. with the Christian saint and Pope is like, is on purpose. Like yeah. they're aligning. She's like almost like the quote unquote noble savage trope in a oh, way. Oh yeah. The, the church did that a lot. Exactly. Like it's, she co-opted or they co-opted her. Her, right. To make it, to help get the people roped in. They're like, see, no, she was good. Exactly. Yeah. Like she wasn't Christian, but like she would have been kind of vibe. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Great branding, honestly. Yeah, they were they were experts at branding. <laughs> I know, like the, the businessman in me is like, damn, that's really good. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're going to fast forward to the 7th century. And on May 13th, 610, possibly 609, we don't know, Pope Boniface IV consecrated the Pantheon at Rome. Oh, yeah, we've been there. Yeah, and this was actually a big deal Mm -hmm. for all of Halloween because that was the pantheon right before all the gods. Where you worship all the gods. And now that that day became known as, or would eventually become known as All Saints Day. Yep. Where you celebrate all the saints Mm -hmm. instead of all the gods. Interesting, huh? I've said it before on this podcast. Catholics are just pagans for Jesus. I mean... That's kind of <laughs> what they they did too. Yeah. Yeah, it has so many pagan roots in it. It's nuts. Whereas to I again, I don't believe that one way is better or worse than another, but other sects of Christianity have criticized that about Catholicism, right? And being right. like, "No, you're the whole point is that there's one God, you guys. You, you shouldn't be praying <laughs> to all these other people." But it's, I know. it's the pagan roots. The pagan roots, absolutely. And like that was celebrated that first all saints day was celebrated in may right Mm -hmm. for the consecration of the pantheon Mm -hmm. and it would be a little over 100 years later that pope gregory the third would change the date of this holiday to november 1st interesting yes and there isn't any concrete evidence to suggest that this move was made to supplant the existing samhain holiday but it does make you wonder it definitely seems like it yes by the year 800 we do know though that um, All Saints Day or All Hallows Day mm-hmm. was being celebrated throughout Ireland and Britain and France and Germany Okay, on November 1st. Okay. I mean, it makes sense that they would change the date to align with Samhain just because people are converting or being forced to convert in a lot of cases. Right. Doesn't mean they're going to stop celebrating those things. Exactly. So you may as like, it's kind of the idea of like, if you can't beat them, join them. That's the, and they took that to heart. Yeah. Like the Catholic church did that over the course of a millennia. Yeah. More than a millennia. It's kind of, it's actually kind of incredible. They were just very consistent. Yeah. Cause it takes so long really to actually fully convert a community or a population. Right. Very interesting subject. So it's important to remember that old, tra- yeah, like you said, old traditions weren't necessarily thrown out. And um, it was more so that you could still worship these pagan traditions of season change, like you said. But now you did so through the glory of Christ. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant, honestly. It really is. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they were just doing centuries old rebranding. They're very good at rebranding the old. <laughs> Old Catholic leaders could teach master classes. <laughs> they on really this. could, honestly. They were so ahead of their time. I know. Oh my gosh. It's kind of spooky. To it think is. About. I agree. I mean, it's widely believed that the church was attempting to replace 
the Celtic Festival of the Dead with a related church-sanctioned holiday, but this isn't certain Mm -hmm. again. And, you know, they further um, created, like, another holiday called All Souls Day on November 2nd to honor the dead. Mm -hmm. And this is a church-sanctioned event that sounds very much so like Dia de los Muertos, you know, Mm -hmm. or just... Or the very old Samhain. Yeah, I grew up um, celebrating both in the church. So I grew up with All Saints Day, All Souls Day for for Mass, mm-hmm. uh, especially when I went to Catholic school. And then obviously we would still celebrate Dia de los Muertos in our own way, not in like the most traditional way because we we're here in the U.S., but this is the season. This is the season for celebrating. And I don't know, something that I do kind of like about it is that this holiday in general halloween and the accompanying uh celebrations is that it makes you less scared of death i think it makes death more normal yeah i could absolutely see that yeah it's actually a really good insight i mean and it's also around this time that the alternative for all saints day was really starting to become used and in vogue which mm-hmm. is all hollows or all hollow men's or all, I'm sorry, all hollow mass from mm. the middle English, all hollow messe, meaning all saints day unsurprisingly. Wow. Yes. I didn't realize that. Yeah. It comes from all hollows. Yeah. It comes from middle English. Okay. And the night before all hollows day, traditionally Samhain became known as all hollows Eve. Mm. You see where we're going with this, yes. right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, Sometime in the later medieval period, the act of quote-unquote souling became popular and is probably the source of what we call trick-or-treating today. Souling? Yeah, S-O-U-L-I-N-G. Interesting. Tell me about souling. So this was the act of the poor of the town or city going about knocking on doors asking for a soul cake, also known as a soul mass cake, in return for prayers. Hmm. And it's just basically like a a home-baked good. Oh my gosh. Yes. Although this might be a newer form of an even more ancient practice that traces back to the purely pagan Samhain, Mm -hmm. but the details are really muddied on that. Okay. But something about going to other people's homes for a treat, for like a sweet. For a sweet. Yeah. In order, like in in the Christian way, um, it was, it was much so like you go to someone's house and say, I'll pray for you. Can I have a treat? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Like had very heavy Christian overtones. Which I guess would highlight how important prayer was or like yes. kind of to our point about magic earlier, how real the power of prayer was to people where they're like willing to give stuff from their house to someone. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. This is really like a continuation of the the way people believed in magic, like yeah. in ancient times, right? Yeah. And I don't say that at all to be dismissive. Like, I, I pray. No, of course. It, it just, I think it connects us. Yes, it all, it, I like It connects that. all of us. I think it connects us to generations whose names we'll never know, but we're all kind of doing the same thing. Right. And just a little bit different packaging. Exactly. I think that's very interesting. We're on to something there. Yeah, we're on to something. <laughs> so regardless, like, you know, of like where souling kind of came from, it. It is. It began in response to the belief in purgatory, where mm. it was thought a soul lingered in torment unless elevated by prayer and most often money paid to the church. 
Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. This is where I draw the line. <laughs> well, after the Protestant Reformation, souling continued in Britain. Only now the Protestant young and poor offered to pray for the people of the house and their loved ones instead of those in purgatory. While, That's you nice. know, Catholics continued with the older tradition. Yeah. Me and Martin Luther agreed on a lot. Let's yeah. just say that. <laughs> <laughs> thank God you live in today. Yes, thank God. Would have been rough back then. <laughs> yes. So we're going to... We're going f- a little bit further. This is post-medieval now. We're kind of breaching the 17th century. So, Oh, wow. I mean, I guess we already have with the Protestant Reformation. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like, but specifically during the English colonial era of mm-hmm. North America, these traditions weren't actually very popular um, in general. They were more so in the middle and southern colonies. Okay. But the, like, the, the New England Puritans, right? They're not going to... Oh, that's right. Yeah. They don't do any of those kinds of celebrations or pagan related beliefs. Yes. It, it was not favored amongst the Puritans. Let's just say that. That's right. We talked about the Puritans last week with the Salem witch trials. Exactly. So it's those type of people. They're not going to be super stoked on all Hallows Eve. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound like they it. They did still celebrate something, but it, it wasn't anything near what we would call Halloween. I would imagine they still celebrated something related to the harvest. They did. There was also this guy named Guy Fox who uh-huh. back in the early six, I can't remember if it was late 1500s or may, I think it was early 1600s. I'm pretty sure he basically tried to blow up parliament and he was a Catholic Yes, and it solidified like Protestant um, feelings against Catholics in, in like the UK or right. Great Britain, right? Right, right? Or England, whatever it was back then. Like they're crazy. And that, yeah. that tradition did go with move along with the puritans okay into north america okay so but it stopped around the time of uh the american revolution mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting so the the halloween really doesn't become a big mainstream holiday in, in what we would call the united states up until the mid-19th century actually oh my god so after the united states becomes a country okay so it um, takes a while it takes a little while and that's because of the the Irish and Scottish immigrants. Yay. Yeah. Kind of cool, huh? We brought the party. <laughs> they did. They brought the party. <laughs> or we brought the party, yeah, because I'm part Scottish. Yeah. yeah. They came, my Scottish ancestors came a little earlier, but. Well, my ancestors no are pretty deal. brand new, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> brand new to here, I guess. Yeah. Not to the world. <laughs> no. So we also, in the 19th century, have the legend of Stingy Jack. Oh, Jack. He can't be stingy, my man. Yeah, he's a little stingy. and I feel like it's not going to go well for him. No, you know, I'm actually going to give you guys the the cliff notes of this. Okay. And I'm going to try to keep it as short as possible. But essentially, this tale of Stingy Jack goes a little something like this. Jack is a drunk and <laughs> generally not someone you wanted to hang out with. Oh, my God. He was a bummer. So much shit talking already. <laughs> One night, Jack is hammered, which is pretty in character Jack. and he's wandering through the countryside at night when he came upon a body on a cobblestone path <gasps> this turned out to be the devil oh snap of course it was why and did he, i think of that and he's there to collect jack's soul oh god that escalated quickly for drunk jack but jack's like hold on a second so he's like hang just hang out with me for a little bit so he brought the devil the prince of darkness to a pub <laughs> As his last act before, you know, going straight to hell. Literally, right? Yeah, I guess. But Jack doesn't have any money, so he asks the devil to turn into a coin so he can pay. 
Okay, he is stingy. <laughs> yes, but unbeknownst to Satan is that Jack had a crucifix in his pocket. Ah. So Jack put the coin right next to the crucifix. <gasps> yeah, essentially trapping the devil. The, he was pissed. I bet. He's pissed, but he's like, okay, fine. Let me go and I'll give you something. And Jack's like, give me 10 more years. Oh my goodness. And the devil's like, fine, whatever, dude. So 10 years later, the devil comes back. He comes and, to collect. Yes, and he's like, okay, you're coming with me. And Jack's like, dude, but I'm really hungry. Can you just climb up in that tree and get me an apple? And the devil's like, what? Ugh, fine, whatever, man. So he climbs up in the tree, the devil but Jack places a bunch of crucifixes around the tree. So he's stuck up there. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. The devil is furious and he's like, fine, you're good. I will not collect your soul. Like I don't, I, I wash I don't my even hands want of you. you. Yeah. He's pissed. He's like, screw you, man. I'm done with you. <laughs> so Jack eventually dies. But remember, he's kind of a POS, right? Yeah. He gets the pearly gates, but God's like, nah, fam. Like you ain't coming in. You're wicked. Your name's not on the list. Yeah, he's not on the list. <gasps> Satan also denies him entry into hell. Oh my god! Because he's like, you know what? He's just still pissed at him. He's like, and also, I made a deal with you. I can't go back on that. Right, right. The but devil is known for sticking to his deals. He does. And he cursed Jack to wander like, the plane between life and death for eternity with nothing but an ember straight from hell in one of in a like a hollowed out turnip Ooh. or a rutabaga oh okay very specifically specific. yes and this is the very first jack-o-lantern <gasps> stingy jack is where we get jack-o-lanterns yes from? and and that's why we carve them yes and so originally it was these turnips or rutabagas but then eventually and you know Quite, quite quickly in the mid-19th century in North America, it became pumpkins. Mm -hmm. Just because they're easier to carve and they're bigger. Yeah, that makes they're sense. They're more fun. But yeah, that's Stingy Jack. Wow, that's wild for not the God and the devil to reject you. Yeah. And you have to just wander around all, all eternity just with your turnip. <laughs> fun times, right? That's a crazy story. And that is that a story that would have come with the Irish and Scottish immigrants? Yes, it was first printed in the United States in, like, I think it was like 1839, if I recall correctly. I actually don't have it in my notes, but it was some vaguely around that time, right? Okay. Um, but we think that it, it comes from the Irish-Scottish immigrants even earlier. Okay, yeah. It's an old legend for them. But yeah, definitely came in the mid-19th century. Wow. So I also mentioned that, you know, the U.S., right, in the 19th century, we had mm -hmm. these Scottish and, and Irish immigrants coming in. And they're the ones, again, like I, I said it earlier, and I'll say it again. They're the ones that are pushing the All Hallows Eve, now shortened to just Halloween. Wow. Yes. And became, like, they were celebrating it, and it became just much more popular. Yeah. Like, during this time. Yeah, they brought their culture with them, kind of revived this thing that was forgotten in Europe, like left behind in Europe. Exactly. So interesting. And like, especially like coupled with the push of spiritualism and kind of like the late That's 19th right. century, um, you know, like this was Halloween at this point was very centered on ghosts and mischief and even still souling. Yeah. There was such an interesting, we've talked about this before in previous episodes, 
fascination with mediumship right and being able to communicate with the other side it doesn't surprise me that it caught on even outside of those communities yeah i agree completely but it's a fun time now yeah it's, it's a, a good blast. time like <laughs> if you were to go back at this time and see it like you'd be like oh i could see like our modern day halloween coming from this but there's still some like differences right and you know we'll we'll highlight that so we're now going fast forwarding just a teeny bit mm-hmm. into the early 20th century. Okay. So on Halloween 1912, in the village of Hiawatha, Kansas, mm-hmm. local hooligans and mass ruined Elizabeth Krebs' garden as well as most of the town. Oh my God, not the hooligans. The hooligans. Definitely some youths. And you know what? This was just a yearly occurrence, <laughs> and our girl Elizabeth here, she was sick of it. Yeah. She was pissed. Yeah, that's her garden. So two years later on Halloween 1914, she involved the entire town and she brought in a band, held a costume contest and put on a parade to stop the shenanigans. And guess what? It worked. What? Yeah. She made it kind of like a community sort of event. So she created a like a healthier outlet? A healthier outlet. That's exactly what she was trying to do. Wow, that's really interesting. Costume contest, like a big band, parade. It became a big thing. And that was like the very first like quote unquote modern Halloween event. In Kansas? In Kansas, in this teeny little town like Hiawatha. Yeah, Hiawatha. Wow, if any weirdos listening are from Hiawatha, Kansas. Or even heard of it, honestly. Yeah, or nearby and you've heard of this, please let us know in the comments on Instagram. That's so cool. Yeah, in fact, Elizabeth Krebs is sometimes tied or like given the moniker of like the mother of modern Halloween. I love that. I love that she was upset by like, you know, it's, I'm assuming these were teenagers or kids or something. Yes. But didn't take a very punitive approach she was like, how do we make this something where they can like release their energy, but everyone gets involved and everyone has fun. Exactly. That's wild. It was pretty cool, huh? Mm-hmm. And the success of creating like a community organized event was so successful that other towns and cities in Kansas started doing the same thing before, you know, other parts of the country even took suit. That's so cool. Yeah. So caught you. And during this like period of time, like the 1910s and early twenties, mm-hmm. you have costume contests parades music food dancing sweet treats Mm. accompanied by you know these frightening decorations of ghosts and goblins as Mm. they become more commonplace like roughly you know starting a hundred years ago more or less pretty cool huh that would be really cool to see yeah so we're starting to see some like newer and more modern like themes come about however though like it was still viewed as a night of mischief and was in this kind of like mischievous attitude was still very popular in large swaths of the country. And it was in the 1920s specifically, it was still a very big problem throughout the U S and even in Canada. Really? Yes. So we're not exactly sure like how and exactly when, but by 1927, the idea of trick or treating was firmly established. Oh, wow. Like, it comes from like kind of souling, but now it's like right, right. the actual idea of trick or treating, like literally trick or treat comes during this time. Okay. In fact, like masked miscreants would not harm your property <gasps> if you paid them off in sweets. Oh my God. That's like a gang. It's literally like organized crime, but for like sugar. And for children. <laughs> and for children. Yeah. I kind of low key love it. So if you don't give them like the candy, they're going to like TP your house type of thing. Yeah. 
Oh my god. Maybe steal your mailbox. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, this practice took off like wildfire and became really common during the 1930s and mm-hmm. only stopped a little bit in the 40s because of like the World War the II war. sugar rations. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. However, this practice obviously continues to this day. Yes. That's so wild because obviously growing up, I would go to houses and be like, trick or treat. But I never thought of the trick part of it. Right. I was just so focused on like, give me some candy. Yeah. The treat came later. The trick was first. Wow. Yeah. Miscreants. That's interesting because I wonder, because, you know, first you talked about Samhain and then you talked about um, the church and All Souls Day and things like that. I wonder why this became associated as a night of mischief. I'm not sure. I wonder if there's just something about the idea that like spirits are about that makes people go a little crazy. American angst, American teenage angst during the Victorian era. Yes, that must be it. It's just teenage (laughs) angst. (laughs) But it's interesting because like in the 1950s though, it's Mm -hmm. when we start to see Halloween become pretty indistinguishable from today's version. The process mm-hmm. really starts here. It's not we're not there yet, but it's starting to be here. Um, there is still some change that happens, like from here on out. So most notably with the commercialization in the like starting in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So up until this point, the treats um, that were given out uh, during trick or treating weren't necessarily candy. Oh, yes. What were they? Things like fruit, nuts, coins, and toys were just as likely to be given out. That's so interesting. Uh, companies as far back as the 1950s started to sell candies specifically for trick-or-treating, namely small, individually wrapped candies. Oh, yeah. The candy companies knew what was up. They knew what was up even back in the 50s, mm-hmm. but it, it would steadily gain in popularity up until the 1970s when uh, they started dominating the trick-or-treat market. Dominating those trick-or-treaters. <laughs> Which, if you, it's kind of sounds like silly, but right, we're talking about I mean, nowadays, billions of dollars. Right. No, that's huge. That's huge to completely own the market. I think in the United States, 25% of all candy bought is specifically geared to Halloween. Wow. That's a huge, that's hugely disproportionate amount. 25% for a single day. Yeah. That's wild. Pretty wild. So... Part of the reason for the popularity, explosion popularity, was the convenience for sure, but it was mainly due to this period's intense fear from parents <laughs> of any candy for their children that wasn't professionally wrapped. That's right. right? That's right. There's all those... Ev- all the drugs. Yes. The, everything's laced with LSD, Which turned it? out to be a complete and utter lie, maybe outside of incredibly isolated incidents. But it was such a big thing of panic. I remember... I don't know... If you had this as a kid, but I'd come home and my dad specifically, who's the American parent would sit at the table, dump it all out and go like one by one, making sure everything was sealed. I, wow. I think my parents did the same thing that that, because they must've grown up being right in the sixties and seventies being told everything's full of (laughs) drugs and (laughs) razor blades or whatever it is. Yeah. No, I never got any drugs. Me neither. Imagine someone giving out drugs for free. Yeah, I mean, that's... Most people look, have to pay for that. Yeah, I was like, looking back at it, it's like no one... People don't do that. Yeah, no one does that, unless you're in maybe the Upper West Side or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, though, you mentioned that people used to hand out other, like, toys or like things fruits, like that. Fruits, nuts, yes. yeah. Where I would trick-or-treat in Santa Monica was the best. Oh, the big houses, yeah. The big mansions that we'd go to. 
because some people would give out teddy bears. Okay, that's pretty cool. Yeah, almost everyone gave out full-size candy bars. And Ironically, then, that's like more traditional. Yeah, and then I remember this one house that always had ice cream. Oh. They had like an ice cream truck. Okay, should we go there for this Halloween? <laughs> yeah. Like, Just pretend that we're there with a kid. Yeah, oh, our kid's, oh, he's over there around oh, somewhere. Oh, such a rascal. We'll, yeah. we'll, take, we'll take the teddy bear and the candy no, and the ice cream. We should take your younger sister. She's too old now. She's oh. 15. She doesn't want to do it. That's, doesn't that suck? That makes me so upset. I'm moving on with this episode. So <laughs> during the 1970s, we also see costumes becoming more elaborate and mass produced during this Ooh. time. So costumes like Darth Vader, President Richard Nixon, <laughs> and the Playboy Bunny all become big costumes of the era. Those are really big themes of the 70s, actually. Right? Yeah. I picked those specifically because it's like, I'm on its just wide array. Yes. And a big reason for this was mass became a lot more elaborate starting in the 60s. Mm. And then throughout the 70s, obviously. And in the 70s, you had the presidential mass, right? Like the Richard Nixon. Yes. The Ron, well, Ronald Reagan would be later. But like, yeah, Richard Nixon, like JFK, all of those masks. You still see Nixon masks every year. Yeah, Nixon specifically. Always. He must have been president when like the first like batch was made. Yeah, he must have been. But, but I've yeah. seen all of them now since like Bush, uh, Clinton. Right. You see them all. Yeah. Yeah. Starting in the 70s. Um, and then also superhero costumes and scary masks made a huge entrance into the scene really during like the late 70s uh, throughout the early to mid 80s. That's wild. That's yep. really recent when you think about it. Yeah. No, absolutely. And lastly, like think of what's another big theme of Halloween like in present day. It's movies right slasher mm -hmm, films specifically mm -hmm. that didn't start until 1978 with oh. the release of the movie halloween starring jamie lee curtis oh. and this creates like a brand new genre right that yeah. slasher film i saw that movie it's when i was a kid scary. it was terrifying i didn't sleep for days what are you talking about well anyways its success inspires <laughs> other movies like friday the 13th i saw that one too that one's a good one horrible nightmare on elm street Thank God I didn't see that. No. And Scream. I haven't Even seen that either. Scream would come out later in the 90s, but they're all pretty integral, like horror movies in today's like Halloween. Definitely. They're, even though I haven't seen all of those movies, like I understand the references. They're such right. a part of like the collective consciousness of Halloween. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's so embedded in po like pop culture Halloween. Yes. So, I mean, we have like, it's becoming obviously like it's probably more, popular now than ever before in like u.s history right it just yeah. keeps on getting more and more popular it's like yeah. so ingrained in our society that it started to spread globally ironically right it didn't come from the united states mm -hmm. right but now it's like our version of it is going other places um we are big exports of pop culture yes so like for example the the spread of the slasher film genre mm -hmm. is a large reason um that halloween uh, is so popular and also funny enough theme parks Theme parks. Yeah. So starting in the late 80s, but truly like an earnest during the 90s, the mm -hmm. scary themed theme park really became popular like in the United States at first. So you had Six Flags Fright Fest in 1986. Mm -hmm. Universal Studios Orlando started Halloween Horror Nights in 1991 mm -hmm. and Not Scary Farm, although like created way back in 1973 became insanely popular during the 90s and those all still exist today all still exist today 
and spooky season theme parks have now spread, you know, across the world. Like just, just off the top of my head, I was like, I know they have, there's ones in Singapore, Japan, France, and Hong Kong. Wow. Yeah. So, and probably many more. Mm-hmm. I would not be attending any of those. <laughs> and this is really only because, you know, Halloween, like the, the, because these theme parks were so popular is because Halloween was so popular, right? Right, right. Like it wouldn't work unless Halloween was already popular. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a, a cycle because then it helps further spread the popularity of Halloween. Right, having exactly. These theme parks. It's funny how like kind of like um, we've had this like positive feedback loop yes. of Halloween, Halloween like throughout the world. And the movies and the theme parks and the actual day of celebration. Yes. Right. And I mean, right now, like trick-or-treating and costumes on Halloween is is very universal. Yeah. Like across the entire world. Yeah, I think even if people, maybe other cultures, other countries haven't done it themselves, they would still recognize what it is. Right. If they see people doing it, everyone's like, oh yeah, those are kids trick-or-treating. Exactly. And the success of Halloween has piqued interest in other celebrations, or celebrations of the dead, you know, most notably Dia de los Muertos, like we've you already talked about yeah i actually thought about it again when you were talking about how the irish and scottish immigrants were still celebrating you know their hallows eve and made it popular here i feel like that's been happening recently maybe in the last like five years with uh dia de los muertos day of the dead yeah i feel like more more people than i've ever seen know about it and schools do things for it. you know communities do things for it it's really interesting um that they these very different holidays have similar themes and are celebrated almost at on like the same day. Yeah. But are like truly separate. Like they came, they, they wouldn't have interacted. Right. They developed completely separately from each other. That I've thought about that before. That really makes me think that something's going on during these days that people were just more aware of. I th- there's that and also I just think that like according to like our ancient agriculturally centered brain this mm. was like maybe a really good time to reflect because mm, the days are getting shorter exactly you're entering the dark season yeah kind of getting more introspective right. thinking about those who've passed yeah because guys remember like it's only the 20th century that agriculture isn't like the most popular profession right yeah. or industry yeah if it dips below 50% of like workers, which is had never happened before in the history of humanity that we know of. Don't we have a farmer's shortage? Yeah. In the United States. Yeah. It's not, it's insane. Isn't that? Yeah. Cause I know, um, like Danielle was telling me, I don't know if your school had this too. Cause she was in orange County that they had like a young farmers, like future farmers, future of farmers of America. Yes. Yeah. We did not have that, yeah. but I had heard of it. I, I learned about it through her and it's to encourage, you know, young people to even consider that as a career because it's so important. Yeah. And it's ironically, I think it can be quite lucrative now because it, yeah. it was seen as like, quote unquote, dirty work. Right. 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 Because it's um, working with your hands, working out in the field. To be honest, there's something kind of nice about about it. Oh, yeah. That's why the so many people. This is a little bit of a tangent, but like we've seen such a res- uh surge i guess in hobby farms right where people aren't necessarily trying to make money or create like a a good from it but they have like chickens and sheep and flowers and just because it's so good for your mental health it is it's really like a return to ancient times yeah 
I like that. Interesting. And, and you know what? In conclusion, like as we wrap all of this up, I always just marvel at like how over a prolonged period of time, something can morph and change so drastically, but like some themes just remain set in stone. Yes. I mean, the dead and supernatural entities have always been at the heart of Halloween. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah. And that is kind of more or less the history of how we celebrate Halloween to this day. Yay. That was awesome, my love. Yeah, thank you. And before I forget, the sources for this week's episode come from the Library of Congress, History.com, theworldhistory.org, Nat Geo, the New York Public Library. Mm, and, yay libraries. Yeah, yay libraries. And as well as Wikipedia. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I learned so, so much. It is crazy to see how the essence has remained across so much time right that has gone by and different countries different continents different cultures coming together and we still have this essence of this is the time to connect with those who've passed and yeah. also this is the time that spooky things can happen yeah i love that Ooh. Ooh. spooky <laughs> spooky crisps <laughs> oh weirdos thank you so much as always for listening to another episode we really hope you enjoyed this halloween episode i yes. know i did we hope you have a very happy Halloween. And if you enjoyed this episode, actually don't forget to share it with someone else who may enjoy it. That is how we can help this podcast grow. Absolutely. You guys are so awesome in listening to us. And we really hope you enjoy your, your Halloween. Yeah. Happy Halloween, weirdos. Adios. need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.